welcome. This is an awesome podcast. This yeah. is one of my favorite ones. <laughs> to the Jeff. It's a lot of whiskey, Jeff. Macalino. Jeff Macalino. 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 Podcast. Hey, hey, welcome to the show. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, got a great one for you today. <clears throat> uh, got a couple of uh, things I want to touch on. One I'm going to save for next week. It's pretty big news regarding uh, my next acting gig. I'm going to save that for next week because as of this moment, only I know about it. Uh, and, you know, my my kids. Um the other thing is, thank you for your nominations. I am on the ballot for Best Podcast, Best of the Bay. Uh, so Creative Loafing does this every year. They've done it for a long time. Um, you know, it's a cool thing, and I'd like to win it once. And uh, might as well win it this year. Um, so I'll put the link in the in the show notes. It is super easy. Uh I do believe it asks you for your zip code. I don't know if you have to be a Bay Area local, though. Uh, if you do, you can just shoot me a message. I'll shoot you a zip code in the Tampa Bay area. <laughs> um, but, hey, uh, you know, I'd appreciate it. It takes literally 30 seconds or probably 20 seconds to go vote for the Jeff McAlino podcast in the best podcast category uh, for Best of the Bay Twenty. 23. You probably, if you've listened to this podcast enough, you know how much I love my city of St. Petersburg nestled right here in Tampa Bay. Uh, so it would, uh, it would mean a lot for me. Um, all right, enough of me talking. Let's get to more of me talking, but this time with two guests. Uh, I have Stephen Kubanke and Dylan James Corals with me on the podcast. The two of those gentlemen are working together uh, on a book uh, called The Disappearance, What Really Happened to One of History's Last Unexplained Mysteries. Now, this book is not out yet, uh, so we I have not read it, and we have not been, we were not really able to talk directly about things that were, were going to be in the book. But we talked a little bit about his disappearance. Uh, we Dylan is a, a PhD. Um, he's, he's written a, a monograph, uh, uh, and, and a, let's see, 400-page book, Rethinking Existence, the Multiverse, and God. Uh, so we talk about that kind of stuff. Dylan uh, is a an author, uh, and he has several books out as well. Links for uh, his stuff is in the show notes. Uh, you can get his stuff on Amazon, his website, djgfiction.com. And also you can follow him on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. Anywho... Uh, Steve Kubacki, Dylan Quarles, and myself, we had some interesting conversation, and uh, let's just dive right into it. But first, I gotta mention, this episode is sponsored by my good friends over at XSense. I love this place. Uh, XSense is an innovative company providing home safety products, including cutting-edge smoke detectors, carbon monoxide alarms, and other smart home security systems designed to keep you and your loved ones safe 24-7. With easy-to-install devices and smart technology, you'll have peace of mind knowing that Xsense is always on guard. I just got, I haven't even been able to play with it yet or use it, really, because it's going to be useful for me. It's a smart hygrometer thermometer you can place in your room, greenhouse, musical instrument case, literally anywhere to ensure the temperature and humidity are at the right level and won't cause potential damage to your house or item. As a special offer for the listeners of the podcast that's hopefully named Best of the Bay 2023, XSense is offering an exclusive 15% discount on your first purchase. Just visit XSense.com, that's X-S-E-N-S-E.com, and use promo code Jeff Macolino at checkout. Protect what matters most with XSense. All right, everybody. I am very pleased to welcome Steve Kubacki and Dylan Quarles to the Jeff Macalino podcast. Gentlemen, how are you tonight? We're, I'm doing great. I'm doing well as well. 
Thanks. Thanks for joining me. Um, I, I can tell from Steve's background, you're probably on a on a different time zone than me because it's very dark outside. <laughs> yeah, we're in Pacific Standard Time. So. Oh, both of you are. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm okay. in Seattle. So, yeah. And I'm in beautiful Port Townsend, Washington, which is two hours from Seattle, but closer as the crow flies. <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, this podcast was a blessing for me because I needed to reset my clock because in two days I'm shooting a, a film. Uh, I'm just in a couple scenes, but it's my call time's 9.15 p.m. So it's going to be a late night. So I'm like, oh. <laughs> all right, well, I need to be at my heightened alertness at this. So I'm like, this is just perfect coincidence that this okay. podcast happened to time. So Well, you're welcome. Yes, yes. <laughs> you did me a favor. Um well, there's there's a a, a lot uh there's a lot we can dive into uh and I uh I guess let's start with the the topic without without obviously spoiling any of this book that has not been published yet. Um there is an upcoming book on the horizon um can you just kind of give, give a teaser tell what it's about uh without telling obviously spoiling it for us <laughs> okay uh, i'll try my best uh the book is called the disappearance uh and it's about my disappearance for 15 months uh, this is steve kabaki uh it's about my disappearance for 15 months uh and it describes exactly what happened during that time um and it talks about sort of events that led up to that and that were sort of pertinent and interesting and then uh events that happened afterwards in terms of my re-emergence but uh, yeah so that's what the book is about and listeners out there who are familiar with steve's story know that it's got a life of its own at this point so a lot of questions have been asked over the years and this book is really going to finally answer some and open others right right i've been silent for about 45 years um since i i undisappeared uh and yeah and so i'm ready to tell my story now nice and dylan how did how did you guys connect how did you know how did you get us uh, it luck, a lot of luck and a bit of fate, maybe, uh, depending on how you like to look at the the universe. But Steve and I were friends. Uh, he had reached out to me after the publication of my first book, The Ruins of Mars, just to say, you know, hey, and I like what you're doing. And um, I was early in my writing career and I just was like, this seems cool. And so we struck up a friendship over social media and email and phone eventually. And the meeting up as I was writing the series gets uh, fairly metaphysical uh for sci-fi always does but this gets pretty metaphysical too in addition to like some good old-fashioned adventure and steve's a really metaphysical guy i don't want to speak for you steve but that was what kind of helped our relationship uh really grow and uh so that's how i knew him and i knew him for many years before ever learning about his uh famous disappearance which is kind of a black eye on my record of somebody who likes these sort of things i'm interested in this sort of stuff so the fact that i would like sitting across from steve all these times talking about books and other bullshit and never knew about this thing it was kind of amazing but steve probably assumed you knew and you were just too cool to ask him about it right steve? Well, i don't know <laughs> well, well, not not really uh, uh you know most people i meet don't usually google me uh, <laughs> well, they you know, will back, now, you know, back in the time, you know, in late 70s and 80s, there really wasn't any anything like an Internet. And so, you know, these sorts of things just weren't reported. You know, there yeah. was sort yeah. of a history. There wasn't this interest about me on ancient aliens and a whole. I mean, you know, there's just dozens and dozens of speculations and and, you know, podcasts about what happened and why it happened. And Yeah. That's... Which is extra unbelievable since I like, I watch Ancient Aliens and I probably have even seen the episode, had seen it before I met you that talks about you and yet somehow, I guess, never connected the dots. It was my wife uh, who had a, she's a lucid dreamer and Steve, like I mentioned, metaphysical fella there. She had had a, a strange lucid dream involving Steven, even though they'd never met 
at that point. Um, she just heard me talking about him. And um, so she, that led her to Google him, uh, which is something I had never done. Like you mentioned, Steve, not normal to go around Googling everybody you meet, but maybe I should start. Well, maybe because, nowadays it is. I yeah, think. <laughs> right. Maybe it is now, but it was a it was quite an eye opener to see that this person I'd, I'd known for like, I want to say more than five years at that point had um, was the subject of this like totally amazing and unsolved yeah, yet unsolved um, disappearance and reemergence, this total mystery and all these conspiracy theories swirling around. So it was, it was amazing um, bit of fate there. Uh, yeah. Well, and, and you know what? I, I love that because it, it's not, it's not unrealistic that you could sit across from someone who's like, Oh gee, I didn't realize who this was or I mean, look, I've, I'm bad with names and faces. So I've literally sat across from someone who I knew by name and I knew their story and I even knew that person's name and somehow it didn't click in my head or just like, there's like, I don't assume it's that person just because they've got the same name and I'm not going to ask unless I'm really drunk. So. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, I have a, (laughs) you know, after I, I have a PhD in clinical psychology and a master's in linguistics. So you know, I have a certain kind of legitimacy, uh, you know, and so that may be another reason why people don't necessarily, you know, kind of, you know, Google me or they just say, well, you'll be a PhD, MA, you know. Yeah, so, it's almost like you have two two lives, two personalities. There's like the real Steve in person who, yeah, like you, you said, not everybody's not Googling you every time they meet you or bump yeah. into you or strike up a conversation. But then online is this whole other story that you've done nothing to foster outside of just not talking to anyone in the media or anything about and it's got a life of its own yeah i I would say there's more of a professional me where i decide i just don't talk about this and you know i've i've have with some people talked about this uh, but in general yeah i've kept it under wraps for a whole variety of different reasons but the first one was I didn't really want to be defined by this event. So when I reemerged, there was a tremendous amount of media coverage, you know, nationally. And I even had some movie producers send me contracts, um, mm. but I refused them all because I didn't want that event to define me. Right. And so I just sort of let go of it. And as time has gone on, um, you know, it's, it's picked up a lot of, a lot of interest. I think there's something I don't know. So it, I, I I couldn't believe this, but when we were writing the book and you know trying to get a book proposal together, you know I found out that I had like two point two million TikTok hits on my name. Wow. I, I couldn't believe that. It was like what the heck? And you're not, and it's not like something you're driving. You're yeah. and I'm not driving it. It's He's not on there for the algorithm at all. <laughs> zero, zero. Yeah, that's what I mean. There's like this whole thing that's this momentum that's built. And then it's just like, you know, it's one of the things that's always fascinated me about the project since beginning it with you, Steve, was like the fact that there was, there's a lot, there's so many people that have so many different ideas that there's like an actual inertia to, to this project, unlike any other book project I've ever taken part in for sure. Have you guys seen uh, Breaking Bad? Yes. Of course. Yeah. 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 So my theory is he was just kidnapped by Tuco Salamanca and he's just, you know. Yeah, that's well, that's close. <laughs> God, how did you know that? Man, this oh, guy wow. is good. Oh, oh I ruined the whole book. You must, you must have some prescience or something like that. <laughs> I'm pretty, pretty impressed. Actually, I did live in Albuquerque for about five years. My degree is from the University of New Mexico. Oh, really? Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I actually knew, I, I know some of the streets that were, you know, where the filming took place. Your old stomping grounds. Yeah, my old stomping grounds. Right, logged out. Maybe they based Walt's fugue state on on you loosely. Obviously, he he was gone what a couple of days, but no, nah, yeah, I don't. I, I, I <laughs> not I, not quite as long. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, yeah, no. And well, and I'm, I'm assuming your reemergence was not naked in a grocery store. I don't want to spoil anything. No, no, it wasn't. You know, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, there's already a lot of newspaper clippings out there. Now I reappeared. I was Great Barrington, around Great Barrington, Massachusetts. And um, yeah, and there's, yeah, there's lots of newspaper clippings. Right. That's part of what's needed. 
Yeah, that's but a lot of that stuff is wrong though, which is weird. There's like so much conflicting. A lot of the reporting is it's not that it's like dishonest, it's just getting these weird details incorrect. And then you see them spin out into their own they get their own a life of their own over the years. Yeah. One one piece of strange report, one piece of just unfactual reporting, you know. Well, I always think a lot of that goes back to the game of telephone you play in school as a kid. And one mm-hmm. person, mis- look, if someone's half-assed listening to this podcast, they could be like, the cartel was involved? What? <laughs> right. and, and just started a whole new conspiracy start, start story. a whole new string of things. And then look, uh, we've all been there, I think, where, where it's like, well, so-and-so told me that this was this, so I'm going to make my own theory based on what the bad information this guy, t- again, it's a game of telephone, and that's it's kind of why I love conspiracy theories and not to, I, I, not, yeah. no, not to use right. a term that's yeah. been, been disparaged inappropriately, in my opinion, but that's why I love them, because it's like, I just like tracing it back and fault, like, how did this start? Where Where was the... Yeah. You know. Genesis. Yeah, yeah, there there are some interesting studies uh, that look at remembering facts, and there's a actually a major gender difference. Where mm. there have been some studies where you get people in a circle, male and female, and people report things, and you then ask the males and the females to you know recall what happened. The women are generally fairly accurate, and mm. uh, not so accurate. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wonder if there's a correlation between the number of like Sasquatch sightings, you know, based on like who has a higher number of sightings, men or women. Oh, it's got to uh, be yeah. men, I would think. <laughs> Maybe, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, women, know, women, yeah. Yeah, women probably know better than doing right. that. And you mentioned the word metaphysics. I don't really think of myself as somebody who's into metaphysics. I mean, I'm very much interested in the multiverse theory. Um, mm. so I like to take a very scientific perspective. I wouldn't say it's an agnostic or atheist perspective, but I'm very interested in looking at, um, you know, other realities and dimensions, but more from a scientific perspective. Um, yeah. And 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 because I think that's what is our at right now our best explanation. You know, and a lot of religions are based on very archaic a kind of science i mean that's what they you know the, the, they use the science of their time to explain things and i think it's time we kind of update where we are at uh and so that's mm-hmm. why i kind of think of things in terms of sort of the general multiverse theory that's the theory where you know there are many many or infinite numbers of universes and dimensions and realities and infinite number of views there have been you know there's been a lot of movies on this and you know marvel things yeah but but it's very, it's it's very popular right now standard yes. it is standard uh theory in astrophysics i'm hmm. i'm fascinated and that was something i i wanted to bring up uh so i'm glad you did uh the multiverse is something I've I've talked about. I also mentioned Marvel stole uh, stole an idea that I mentioned on the podcast, and then they did reshoots for Doctor Strange, uh, and and they made it where your dreams were actually traveling through the multiverse. Like, they, mm-hmm. so so they stole that from the podcast. They did reshoots on Doctor Strange. I'm just saying. They stole it from you, really? Uh, <laughs> they, they stole it from me. I swear. You heard it here first, folks. Here's they, a new it was, conspiracy theory for it you. Came up on this know. podcast. Then it was big news. Doctor Strange needs to do a bunch of reshoots before it goes into theaters, and really? all wow. of a sudden, jeez. And that actually was something that that I think they changed. That, uh, that I heard they did yeah. change. Obviously, it had nothing to do with my podcast. <laughs> but yeah. well, weird, weirdly enough, when my wife had her lucid dream about Steve. Uh, and she asked him about it. Uh, he had said something that was kind of in that general, it's kind of in that general wheelhouse there, which is to say, you know, she said something like, I dreamed you were a monk. Have you ever been a monk? And he had this answer that was sort of like, well, no, but, you know, in the dream world, things aren't as linear and straightforward. And it's kind of like, whoa, you know, so that's why she was like, well, that's a, such a strange answer. I need to go Google Stephen Kubaki. Uh, and monk and a couple of other keywords from from what he'd said to her because she just felt like it was like weirdly important the way it was phrased and then that's when it's like boom here it is this mystery right 
Steve, from, obviously you're looking at it, as you said, from a scientific perspective, but do you think dreams are another thing? I'm a very vivid sure. dreamer. Uh, huh? And I've, I've said many times I drink because I want to sleep and my dreams are so vivid that oftentimes I can't sleep through them. Mm -hmm. um, I used to have more of a nightmare problem and that's why I couldn't sleep. Sure. Now I'm more of a, uh, I don't know. My dreams have been better lately. I don't know why, but, but uh, now I don't mind going to sleep sober as much. Uh, but back in the day I needed to drink just at least enough to dole so the dreams weren't so hyper realistic oh, really? um do you think there's a possibility that dreams do have anything to do with the multiverse is that oh uh, you know that's uh i i think of meaning i i think you know there's a biological explanation for dreams uh, but i also think there's highly psychological people have dreams and they mean something in their ordinary life or they're trying to tell them things but also, I think dreams. I think dreams do kind of can connect with other dimensions or the multiverse in ways that we don't understand. Um, you know, quantum. There's a lot of research being done on quantum consciousness, um, quantum biology. There's a few books out about that. So, if maybe in some ways there's some kind of entanglement between you know where we're at in this reality versus some other place we call a dream there there may very well be i think you know the one of the major issues is is you know the whole multiverse theory is around boundary conditions you know that uh in some ways things are separate and not yeah everything may be possible but how we access it may be quite limited so mm -hmm. based on our history our knowledge what we know what we might be able to make of dreams is dependent on that and limited by that and also limited by the rules of our, you know, the laws of our, of our world, of our, of our universe, the physics, uh, though these are also probabilistic uh, and can be bent. Do, do you think, uh, again, it was mentioned Hollywood, <laughs> it's, it's kind of a big thing now, the, the yeah. multi, especially with Marvel, right. uh, which is the, I think the biggest movie thing going. Um, do you think they do some justice to the actual science, or do you think it maybe is a uh, dragging you I down? Don't the think there's any road? justice to the science. The, you know, the most <laughs> yeah. the problem with with multiverse theory is that when people talk about it who are not physicists or astrophysicists, most astrophysicists roll their eyes. Okay. Because right. it's often taken out of context. Mm -hmm. Scientists look at things in a very, uh, you know, specific way defined on particular parameters. And yeah, you could speculate there all could be all kinds of things going on. And a scientist would say, yeah, that's possible but we don't have any evidence for it. There's no way for us to test to see whether that's actually happening. And I think that is a general problem with people who have interdimensional experiences or abduction experiences uh, or have shamanic experiences, spiritual you know, experiences. It could be Christian, Buddhist. You know, There's things going on like that, but there aren't really any good scientific explanations. Though I think in terms of you know, and trying to understand it, you know, from a more modern perspective, I think the multiverse fits, but how it fits, I don't think we really understand that at all. I have a question for you, Steve, kind of building off of that. Um, something you said earlier about boundary conditions and how, what can, what the different things that can qualify as a boundary condition, one being our understanding of like the tools or vocabulary we have to describe what's happening to us. Like in that regard, so like, even though, um, Marvel and everything everywhere all at once and all these other movies that are playing with the multiverse even though like their science would make a physicist cringe or roll their eyes do you think that like on some level the fact that the idea is beginning to gain more mainstream traction is kind of helping to build that vocabulary in a way that it hadn't existed on mass before like for to kind of help people maybe start to just I mean really stressing start to understand whatever experiences they might or might not be having that could be related to that. Um, yeah, I, I think that's what's happening. I think as we gain more knowledge and we use our imaginations, I mean, everything around us, 
around, you know, we just look around you. Everything was imagination at one point. Your building, mm -hmm. your pictures, I mean, everything around you was imagination. And we've learned to materialize that into reality. So science is really about how, how do you materialize uh, imagination, our thoughts about things, and bring it into the real. Uh, of course, it's done, you know, through experimentation and, and through hypothesis testing. You want to make sure that your predictions have some level of of accuracy and, and reliability. Uh, but yeah, I think the, the the thing with boundaries is pretty important. Um, actually, I, I don't want, maybe I don't know if you wanted to get into this, but I've um, written a book. It's a short little kind of more kind of a pamphlet or a monograph called the Meta Mathematics mm. of Existence. And there I talk about two theorems, two proofs that uh, a mathematician and I developed. His name is Brian Blackmore. And one of them is the theory of boundary conditions that says that in order for anything to exist, we sort of mathematically prove this, uh, it, must have it must have boundaries. It must have a structure. It must have limitations. Uh, otherwise, uh, we won't be able to understand it. We, it won't exist in some ways. And the sort of the opposite of that uh, in, the, in the book is the theory of totality, which argues, again, through a mathematical proof, that in order for anything to exist, everything imaginable and unimaginable must exist in some way. So anything mm. you can think of exists somewhere, somehow, someplace. But it's how we can access it is very limited by our knowledge. Uh, so, you know, thousands of years ago, um, you know, there was no way for people to land on the moon. I mean, people couldn't build right. rockets to land on the moon. And you had to build a certain knowledge base over time to, you know, the 20th century so that you could then have the knowledge so you could send a person to the moon. Right. You couldn't have done it 2,000 years ago. Now, you might have imagined it 2,000 years ago, but you couldn't have done it. But it's through our imaginations that we then explore the universe around us. And science has a lot to do with imagination. So maybe in some ways, Marvel Comics is helping us all to change our way of thinking, to see the multiverse as more acceptable. And then on top of that, we may be building things. Um, right. Yeah. Well, I, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I mean to ramble on here. No, no, no. no, no. I, I think. So, I so love to, that ramble. Yeah, that was that was a, a spectacular ramble. <laughs> but the the limited by our knowledge thing uh to me I, i've ranted a few times when i've talked to people and i'm not saying i even espouse their beliefs whether it's the biggest one i'm thinking of is ghosts at the at the current moment yeah. but um there's there's reincarnation there's there's you know past life regression all this mm. kind of stuff and and i feel like and steve you're you're highly qualified obviously to re to rebut this or to confirm this Mm -hmm. I feel like the mainstream science kind of just because, oh, that's heebie-jeebie BS. We don't, that's not science. That's this, that, the other. I feel like in general, most of the, I'm going to call it big science, dismisses mm -hmm. things uh, like ghosts. Again, to me, I, mm -hmm. I, I don't believe in ghosts. I've never encountered a ghost. I'm not right. saying I don't believe in ghosts, but I'm saying there's an awful lot of people who have a lot of experience with ghosts to right. to it not really be some. We can't measure it. Right? Not that I know of. There's no actual scientific way to measure whether there's spirits from other realms or, or you know, the afterlife, whatever. Um, And it kind of gets dismissed, but it's like, but to, to me, isn't that limited by our knowledge too? kind of the same way as getting to the moon? Like we don't know how to measure it. That doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It just means we're not there yet. Uh, yeah, I would sort of concur. I kind of agree with you. I, I think our knowledge limits us what we can make sense of. Scientists are, you know, they, they want to be able to replicate something. And the mm -hmm. problem with a lot of parapsychology, a lot of, you know, examining ghosts and spirits and all those sorts of things is it's hard to replicate. You know, it's hard mm -hmm. to, yeah, someone may have an experience, but trying to repeat it again and test it and measurement is extremely difficult. So, you know, many, many scientists, you know, may actually, there's a lot of scientists who are spiritual, who have religious beliefs, but they would not say that this is something that science can prove or disprove that it's a more a matter of faith. 
and experience. But I think it's really interesting that you know, when we look worldwide and we look throughout the history of humankind, that there have been these sort of other experiences of non-ordinary reality that have always mm. happened. And I, I think uh, what I think what what makes it very problematic to study is that it's very dependent on your culture, your personal history, and your biases. So a thousand years ago in the medieval age, when people had spiritual experiences, uh, they saw Jesus or they saw angels or devils. And now we see you, you know, we people get abducted by UFO. I'm not saying there aren't or are UFOs. Okay, I'm not, not going to argue that. But in some ways, if you look at the history of spirituality, a lot of what how it gets interpreted it depends on what you believe and what your biases are, how you frame things. And if we frame things in terms of science, which is our more our most dominant paradigm at the moment, then of course anything where somebody is connecting with some energy or force or being from some other dimension or reality is going to be explained in terms of our science. And so, that, and if it's happening to you spontaneously, so you don't know what's happening, you're going to be very fearful. You're, you're going to be scared because this thing is happening to you. So right, back right. a thousand years ago, you might think it's devils attacking you. And now it's, it's aliens doing surgery to your body. Now, I'm not saying there aren't aliens. You know, I'm not saying there isn't something happening, but how it's interpreted can be very different, you know, from person to person. So some right. person might have a very benign experience, a very positive experience in the interdimensional realm or multiverse realm. And somebody might have a very, very paranoid, a very negative experience. But the, right. Determining what the reality is, the truth, I I don't know how we I don't know what we can do that scientifically and not at this moment, but maybe we will. Maybe at some point we will get into other dimensions. There's a there's a new book uh just came out um by Laura Mercini Houghton called Before the Big Bang. And it's it's a really great book on astrophysics, but it's an attempt to look at the Big Bang in terms of the multiverse theory, that there are many, many different universes. Uh, and it's, yeah, I think it's kind of interesting and uh, kind of adds some scientific credibility that possibly in the future, we may be, you know, discovering other universes. In fact, she even hypothesizes there are probably some uh, other universes colliding with ours. And there seems to be some evidence to support that. Hmm. What does that look like in, a, you know? Does she get into it in the book, or do you have ideas uh, on that? You know, that? I, I'm not, I'm not qualified. I'm not a physicist. I don't want All to say right. something that sounds like completely <laughs> wrong. Okay? But I was very impressed with the book. It's called "Before the Big Bang" by Laura Mercini Houghton. She's a, uh, yeah, she's originally from Albania. Very brilliant, brilliant woman. Jeff, this is like in a weird way, tiny window into a little bit what it was like writing the book. <laughs> we would have a lot of conversations that are wide ranging, but couched in in the process of writing the story. Yeah, telling it, Steve's story. That that's actually that's a interesting. I hadn't thought of asking this, but you, you know, you're writing the book, um, and and this goes both way both ways. But Dylan, I'll let I'll let you answer first. Um, I mean, a lot of it, I assume you're doing the writing, he's doing the, the ex explaining or, or, or telling the story, right? Um, well, it was and, a series of like interview. Yeah, go, sorry, go ahead. Finish your question. Well, well, yeah, no. So is it, uh, is it like ghost, you know, it's one of those kind of weird things. Is it, do, do you put, again, not to spoil a book, but will you, when you're writing this, are mm -hmm. there things that Steve will look at and be like, well, I wish he didn't write that or, you know, what I mean? <laughs> how much do you have to consider like, oh, he's going to be pissed, but I, I have to put this in. Uh, I don't know. I'm just thinking of the dynamic of, of the actual process I'm unfamiliar it's with. A, it's a very collaborative process. So we did a lot of talking, like I mentioned, we'd have conversations that might not to an outside observer seem like they are about something having to do with Steve's case, but it's critical to some facet of the book uh, or the philosophy that's explored. 
and, the, and some of the concepts that are explored in the book. Um, so that was collaborative in that way. And then I would, in terms of the writing itself, um, it was more like get, getting it down on the page and then it would pass back and forth as, you know, things were uh, recalled or um, specifics were, you know, came into clarity through some sort of, you know, time and and mulling it over and then um, polishing uh, and polishing and the making sure that it flowed, you know, that, that was my my main, you know, contribution. I don't want to sell myself. I don't want to oversell myself and I don't want to undersell myself, but you know, I'm a, I'm a storyteller and a, and a writer, and I do a lot of work with structure and flow and pacing and all these kind of things, knowing when a story should, when to start a story and when to end a story and all that sort of stuff. So I will say it was outside of my normal wheelhouse because this is someone's life and it was a friend. Um, so there was, we certainly wanted to be delicate with that, but Steve was involved all along the way it wasn't like i just wrote it and was like here you go hopefully i don't you know really offend you and destroy <laughs> yeah. your legacy or something yeah. no it was a it was a very collaborative process uh, it couldn't the book couldn't have happened without dylan okay that's one of that everyone know that um but, we, but it was very collaborative and you know we would work on it together and i would add a whole bunch of stuff you know we, we kept going back and forth so mm -hmm. we, we both wrote a lot on the book oh yeah yeah, Dylan is the expert in terms of, you know, kind of getting the format and all that kind of stuff. And that was extremely important and getting it down, you know, so that's, you know, thank you. It is kind of, it's, I think it's wonderful having now read it so many times, but now this final version, which we're, I'm really proud of, and you should be proud of it too, Steve, because like it reads so cohesively, if that makes sense, like it, it has two authors but it doesn't feel like you're being torn one way and, and then the other. It just reads really cohesively. So I, some, I'm super proud of, of the way it turned out. I think I, I even used the word uh, when I wrote to Steve after his final set of editions, I just wrote stellar. And, and that was <laughs> like, I didn't have anything else to say. I was like, I'm so excited to do this. I'm so excited for this to come out now. Cause it's been a road. It's been a long road, but it's, it's ready. It's, it's fully it's fully baked. It's ready to go. Yeah, we're we're right now. Like we haven't started, but we're looking for literary agents and publishers. So yeah, out there. Yeah, right. We, we hope so. Go to your, send them to the website, Steve. Yeah, my yeah. website is stephenkabaki.com. So you can there's some something about the disappearance book and also about some of my other writings and ideas and. Etc. Mailing I, list and mailing list, and there's. I'm going to try to at least put one blog post a week on there, if not more. Uh, so I don't know. I think people would find it interesting. So mm -hmm. someone's got to publish it sooner rather than later because I'm going to read it. Well, and, yeah, that's how we feel. Too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know it's been carrying this. Like I was asked by another interviewer uh, from uh, Missing Enigma, which is a YouTube show we were just on, and it was really fun. And I was asked by him something about, was it hard to keep the secret? And I've thought about that since he asked me, I gave him some, I gave him an answer like, yes, but it's okay. And then the more I've thought about it, the more I've been like, God damn, hell yeah, it's been hard to keep this secret. I'm, I can't tell you how many times I've said, you'll have to read the book to people who are like, okay, well, what happened to him after I do the whole pre preamble? And I'm so, I'm so glad to be able to say, you'll have to read the book. It's on Amazon or it's in your bookstore. None of this will, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. you'll have to read the book. So stay tuned. Yeah, it'll be available sometime. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> now that's that's I, I I can relate to that not in any way artistically or uh, intelligently as fun, but I I was a lead in a, a movie that was shot like last September October, and every day some when can I, I see that movie you were in? It's like it's coming. Just leave me alone. What but, was it? <laughs> what, what what did you start? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the movie's called Women Want Everything. It'll be on Amazon Prime soon. Oh, <laughs> I yeah, it's a comedy. Well, what is that about? Is it about, uh, geez, what could that be about, right? It, yeah. <laughs> is it in the title, maybe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, 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 it's it, it, there's four male leads. I'm one of them, and, and we're misfits. And guess what? We don't know what women want, so. Well, I don't know if anyone does. So. No, no, that's that that's that's a scientific mystery that needs to be. Yeah, right. I have a funny story. I have a funny story to tell you. I, one of the reasons I became a clinical psychologist. There's lots of reasons, 
Um, I was finished. I was in the middle of my master's program in linguistics and I was teaching English to officers in the Saudi Arabian National Guard in Saudi Arabia, Riyadh. And I kind of knew I didn't really want to pursue a long range career in linguistics or teaching English as a second language. Um, and so I was thinking about what could I do next? And I thought, you know, I really like, I enjoy being with people, interacting, helping people. I, I feel my life has been one of service uh, to others. Uh, and so, I don't know, I came across clinical psych and it sort of seemed to make sense and I can do lots of things. I can, you know, help others as a psychologist, do research, write. But one of the major motivations uh, is that um, I, I had just been recently married and in some ways I was felt at a loss when it compared to emotional intelligence with women and communicative intelligence. And I said, you know, <laughs> maybe if I become a clinical psychologist, I can increase my emotional intelligence, <laughs> communicative expertise, you know, and, and feel a little bit more equal. I mean, I'll never, you know, never, ever get to where women are in terms of their expertise in communication and emotional intelligence. But at least I can have a better understanding and, you know, feel like I'm, you know, I can hold my own. So that that was one of the one of the one of the reasons why I became a psychologist. Yeah. At least you can know you're going down with the ship when you're going That's down. Right. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. At least you know when you're going down with the ship. Or at least yeah. you can... <laughs> maybe women are actually an alien species who came to this planet and we're all just cavemen who are like, we're gonna stand up a little straighter and, and talk a little smarter <laughs> because because we won't have sex with those aliens. <laughs> I think that's like a reverse of one of Eric Von Daniken's ancient alien theories. It's the other oh, way around. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the um, aliens. I, uh, Dylan, uh, so uh, I, I want to ask you to just just uh, Runes of Mars. That was a, a fiction. Yes, not fact. But that's a common mistake a lot of people make weirdly when they watch my Facebook ad. And I don't know how to help you with that, guys. If you're out there and you see an ad for a book called The Ruins of Mars and it's talking about NASA astronauts exploring ruins on Mars, it is a work of fiction. Just read that title. Really? Wait, we haven't made it to Mars? <laughs> well, I, I mean, I I, I have to be careful you're, you're what I... You're shocking me, Dylan. What, what's going on here? <laughs> I have to be careful what I say, guys. Really, I don't want to... <laughs> I don't want to get Zapruder. I don't want to end up on the next Zapruder film. <laughs> um, I I I shouldn't say this uh, on on the thing, but I Dylan, I uh, when you were mentioning your your wife with the lucid dreams and uh, well, it kind of ties into everything. Um, I started I I write not books because I'm not smart enough, but I I try to write screenplays out of my dreams. <laughs> <laughs> and mm. and i've had a recurring dream uh, a handful of times in the past couple months of a uh uh a, basically it's like a, a lucid dream choose your own adventure kind of thing and mm. i i don't in, in in my brain i think it's probably not a lucid dream i think it just my brain gives me the thought that i actually have control over it but it, it's the the whole the whole thing was this is some arena where people who can access their dreams basically go to play at night when they're sleeping. Uh, and, and maybe, then, maybe sooner than later, maybe the, isn't that Zuckerberg's thing with the metaverse? Isn't that it, what he's angling it, towards? It, it could be. But yeah, it was. So so there was there was basically most people there just for sex. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, but but the other, you know, there were there were weird challenges and all these other things and i i did a, a physical thing and the the strangest thing no lie i did some some i don't even remember exactly what it was but it was some sort of daredevil type thing you could never do in real life and i crashed and caught on flames i woke up the next day and my ankle was swollen and i had a cut across my stomach and i sleep alone there was no one else in the bed with me so i had a, a swollen ankle and a cut across my my torso not like a deep cut just like a like a a, a pretty good scratch and i'm like wait a second what the did i do this that is, to I myself in my sleep I, <laughs> I think you're just proving the the dream rules of nightmare on elm street that they are real 
Yeah, I just way lessened. Instead of being completely smashed to pieces, I just have a swollen ankle and a, a slight gash in my stomach. Uh, you know, it's uh, you know, it's not whether it's real or not. The the body, the mind is incredibly powerful, and there's actually something called pseudo pregnancy. It's very strange, where there'll be uh, women who believe they're pregnant and will look pregnant. And everything physiologically will be as if they are pregnant, but they don't have a fetus. There is no baby. Mm, wow. It's that's how powerful the mind is. The mind is incredibly powerful. And, you know, it can affect our physiology in all kinds of ways. Um, so, you know, I think I don't I don't want to get on there. There's a whole thing around stigmata and Christianity. Mm, you know, the yeah. things on the hands and stuff. I'm so and fascinated. That may be that may be due to what, you know, some experience that you had. You know, there somebody's dreaming something lucidly and it then gets somaticized in the body in some way. And people back then called them stigmatas. And yeah. maybe something went on with you, you know, in your dream that somehow then had some sort of effect on your body. It's it's pretty amazing what what can go on the power of the mind to make it yeah. real yeah 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 and can create all kinds i mean i mean in some ways my profession clinical psychology looks at you know the interface between the body between the soma and the mind you know and they affect one another right um, you know, psychotherapy can help people uh and that can change their biochemistry in their brain over time and then some people take medications and that can change their biochemistry in their mind so it's, uh, you know, it's, I, I think things are always kind of an interplay at many different levels of, you know, the mind, the body, and in, I think in some ways, the non-ordinary. Mm. So in some of these, in some cases, maybe where people are, they're, they're, I, and this is not to, in any way to discount those who believe that they have been abducted by aliens or, but it, or, or experience that like it there's could be like these these physical side effects that can sometimes that have sometimes been documented in more the in some of the more like legitimate sounding cases at least like when it's that level of uh intensity to to the experiencer um like it could just i i feel like i'm almost just speculating you too know, wildly I, we, we, we don't really know again you know it, there seems to be you know again the power of the mind is incredible and we there is documented cases like i said pseudo pregnancy um, there used to be something where in Freud's time, you know, the turn of the century, uh, uh, there would, uh, uh, some women would have what they call hysteria and they wouldn't be able to, they would couldn't speak or they couldn't use their arm or, or, or they, they couldn't do certain things. And there would be no physical basis for their inability to talk or move an arm. I mean, it would be like, it's paralyzed, exists. And through psychoanalysis or other types of therapy, it was, you know, discovered, well, no, there's a, there's a trauma behind it. There's, there's a trauma that then leads then to the inability to use some part of your body. Uh, and the person's completely unaware of it. Right. Again, you don't see that too often anymore uh, in, in modern culture. But you do see trauma, a, tra a trauma taking on all these manifesting in all these different ways, physically and emotionally and mentally. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, that, that's, uh, I believe this was a scientific thing. And I, again, this could be a game of telephone too, but I, I, I remember hearing there was something with science that a, a large, large majority of headaches, backaches, and stomach aches were actually just mental manifestations. It had nothing, you had no physical problem except for you were stressed, you were anxious, you were this, that, the other. Mm -hmm. And that's... You know, that's a real complicated thing because there's been a tendency in psychotherapy and other to sort of blame the person for it because it's their mind. And hmm. sometimes there really is a physiological basis. In fact, as we discover, actually, there's a lot of times a physiological basis. Uh, the issue is not so much as a physiological basis, but what does the mind do with that physiological basis? So pain hmm. patients... You can have somebody who actually really has something, you know, that's causing them pain. It's real. There's, there's no doubt about it. But how the person experiences their pain can be very different. So again, the literature shows that people who are pain have significant pain if they have a good, uh, they have a lot of good social connections, a sense of community. 
if they are much more, if they're positive about their life, let's say not depressed, then their subjective experience of pain is less than somebody who identifies themselves as a pain patient, whose identity is around their pain, who has mm. very few or no friends. And what happens with pain is it's be, it begins to narrow your perceptions more and more. So then you become, you know, you just become the pain. And of course, if you just become the pain, you're going to experience the pain a lot more uh, versus somebody who is expanding their ways, their connections with the universe, with others. And when you expand, you can dilute pain. Um, the mm. fact, yeah, it, it a lot of, yeah, I would say a lot of uh, work with pain patients is about expanding their connections and consciousness and connections with others so that then the pain is less. I was actually going to ask you about that. Like in that way, something that is technically constricting and narrow and something that typically constricts or narrows a person's consciousness could actually be the catalyst to widen it. Right, right. So, right. The, yeah. So that, you know, the negative emotions and generally constrict and narrow our perceptions. So fear, you know, if you're afraid, you know, if you're in a jungle and a tiger is going to get you, you shouldn't be thinking about a thousand other things. You should be thinking, narrow your perception to escape and run away from the tiger. Right. So we get some fear. That's what fear does. It helps re it helps narrow our perceptions. Whereas in generally positive emotions expand our perceptions like curiosity, love. When people are in love, they expand. They are very accepting. They they connect in lots of different ways. They probably wouldn't have connected in the first place. So what happens if you are afraid of a, if you're afraid in the jungle, but there's no tiger? Right. Like it just fear has become chronic. Well, it's not yeah, yeah. based in. Right. Well, then you have an anxiety issue, what we call, you know, modern psychology, an anxiety issue. And you're you're allowing your your base, you're allowing the emotion of fear and other negative emotions to kind of control your life or you're identifying with those emotions or making sense of the world through those emotions rather than through positive emotions. So there's a whole big major push in psychology on positive psychology kind of looking at the positive emotions like curiosity and love and caring and empathy compassion um and in some ways right. um you know if we if we, if we expand our consciousness we really connect we feel better and we connect more with the universe and we feel i think in some ways more grounded um uh, and in a way, I, I kind of connect that to this proof called the, the theory of totality in, in, in the monograph, that if we think of everything as being expansive, there's a total, you know, zillions of universes. In some ways, if we're going to be kind of more like the way existence is, the more we connect with things around us, then the happier we are, and the more adaptive we are. We think of adaptation People are optimally adaptive when they connect more, when they take more ideas in, more information, um, and they they do better. Rather than if you're, you know, negative emotions, again, they have their place. They help us with critical thinking. We wouldn't be able to do it otherwise. Sorry, I was rambling again. No, I, I used to, no, it's I used to be a one. professor. Sorry, I don't mean to go. I on told you before, there's no structure to this podcast. Yeah. This is a, a this is a, a a no this is a a no boundary no boundary conditions on this podcast. Okay, okay um, well, thank you. That's very sweet of you. <laughs> I'll, I'll 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 ground it into stupidity, uh, kind of based on the. So obviously, everyone would be afraid face to face with a tiger or a grizzly yeah. bear, a lion. You hope so. If they're not, they're that. That's another problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a severe problem, but. <laughs> But every human, and I'll ask you two gentlemen to to tell me. Uh, I I've always had the theory every human has one animal that they're irrationally petrified of. Uh, generally, spiders is the number one thing that I feel like people are super petrified of. I, I'm like I I don't want spiders on my body, but. I'm not like if there's a big spider, I'm not going to be like, oh, and run away. Um, uh, and I, you know, not famously because but to people who know me, I famously am petrified of frogs, frogs, a hmm. frog this big. I will run like a little girl. 
I, I, I've told the story on the podcast. I was held up at gunpoint a couple days before I opened my mailbox and there was a, a frog this big in it. And at gunpoint, I was cool as a cucumber. The frog, I turned and ran and screamed. Um, oh. But I, my, my thing is, everyone I know has an animal. And I'm not saying, obviously, lions, tigers, and bears, oh my. I'm saying uh, cockroaches, spiders, snakes. Everyone has an animal that's like, well, come on. Like, why Why are we afraid of this? Mine, do you guys have a fear? You can admit it. This is a safe oh, space. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course. What, what, what is it, Dylan? Uh, gray aliens. No, I'm just kidding. It's centipedes. <laughs> centipedes. I don't like them. I encountered some centipedes in, uh, in Thailand that were, like, predatory. Like, as in they were stalking us in the jungle. And... Um, I guess it was a little late in the game to discover something I didn't like because I was like 18. Um, but man, it has stuck with me and I do not care for centipedes. Give me your spiders. Give me your snakes. Give me your lions and tigers and bears. Oh my, but keep the centipedes somewhere else, please. Yeah. I don't even want to look at a frog in a, in a case. I'll look at lions and tigers and bears and in, you know, with protection. Steve, do you? Little, <laughs> I, but I was a little curious. You, you, you were being robbed at gunpoint and there was a frog at the same time? Is that no, there the, was a couple days between. I was, I, I stumbled onto some guy who wanted some money for meth. He pulled a gun on me Jeez. and I, 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 I didn't break a sweat. I, I, I didn't give him any money. I, I, you know, used my intellect to defeat him. Didn't cool. take much intellect to defeat him. I was very drunk at the time, uh, but he was a meth addict. So <laughs> you, know, you had a dis you had a big advantage. I had a major advantage. But then a couple days later, again that that time I didn't didn't break a sweat. I feel like my heart rate didn't move. I literally a couple days later opened my mailbox and there was a little tree frog in there, and I turned and ran away and scream screamed. Okay. Um. Well, I think those traumas are related. I, I'm being very speculative, extremely speculative. <laughs> uh, I would say that the trauma of being robbed was a trauma that kind of went unconscious. You didn't deal with it. And, you know, you kind of... Kind I don't of, think I've dealt with it you yet. Closed, you closed <laughs> it off. But I think when something like, you know, like seeing a frog in your mailbox is kind of a surprise, those two things got connected in no. some way. No, in some I'm, way and so there's something about the I, trauma that's connected with this because it's a surprise you see this frog just like somebody's got a gun on you and is going to take your money I, is a surprise i i i think i think fraud my my personal theory yeah and i know this is wrong by the way but oh, this good. is how it yeah, works you are, you are talking to a you are talking to a licensed psychotherapist oh no i know i know but go yeah, ahead but, no no but, in this, say, this, this, this will be weird that i am not practicing psychotherapy at the moment there's no medical okay. no advice medical advice being dispensed with therapy or anything uh, like in 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 my brain frogs are actually designed to try to kill me literally i i've had in the house I live in right now, my bedroom's upstairs, down the hallway, and uh, twice in my bathroom, frogs have tried to kill me. One time, I'm I'm very drunk. I pass out on my couch. I go upstairs. I pee in the master bathroom before I go to bed. And as I'm peeing, I see a frog. It hops out of the toilet onto the toilet seat. Can't really stop peeing. And this frog jumps on me and I just <laughs> scream and lose my mind, like surprise attack by a frog. Uh, another time I'm showering and I, for whatever reason, at the end of the shower, I'm, I'm drying off in the shower before I get out. And I'm like, what is that in the drain? And literally a f I see eyes and a little frog. And again, this frog is this big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it peeks its head out, and I just start screaming. And I still have a scar on my leg from from the bathroom floor, and slipping and and really? crushing it on a on a something. Uh, you know. Uh, so so in my in my brain, frogs are just like snipers sent sent to kill me. These yeah. tiny little baby frogs. 
And my mom told me, and I vaguely remember this, that when I was a kid, I got into her minivan and there was a frog like right here on the on the ceiling by me. And my mom's like, oh, my God. And I saw it and I started screaming and I couldn't get the seatbelt unbuckled. And uh, just so apparently I was traumatized from a young age. So you're saying if if you ever if if it ever turns out we're reading in the news, our dear friend Jeff has been found dead under mysterious circumstances. We should tell the police to search for frogs. Yes. Yes. There's a high likelihood that it was frogs. Frog involvement. So yeah. it's a good thing that meth addict only had a gun then and not a frog or else you might if have he had a frog. I, I, well, I definitely would have just thrown my wallet at him and started screaming and run away. Um, <laughs> so he probably would have got what he wanted. But uh, yeah, the sad thing with that is I had the, the, the he was only asking for 20 bucks and I had 20 bucks in my wallet and I was willing to be like, eh, I'm going to risk the gun. No, not me. Yeah, you so, have the money. So, but I have a, a, a again an irrational, deep fear of frogs. I, I, I've also had a snake. I was in my backyard after the the shower attack by the frog. I was in the backyard a few days later, and I felt something on my foot. I looked down, and a big snake was crawling over my foot. I'm I'm in Florida, so I only wear flip flops. So it was basically my bare foot. And I looked down, I'm like, well, get off, you know, but I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't want it to be there, but I wasn't like, uh, I, I didn't. So it's like, all right, well, apparently there's one thing that triggers fear in me. And my theory is every, every, every human has one and some have more than one, which is, which is a problem. Dylan has centipedes. Uh, I, I have frogs. Uh, Steve, Steve, do you have do you have any animal that just? I, I've been thinking of it while we've been talking. Um, actually, I think the last kind of nightmare I had, where I was very afraid, was I was in some underground tunnel. Um, you know, like maybe two by two by three or something, and crawling, and somehow it caved in, and I was going to be trapped there forever underneath the earth. So that kind of sense of claustrophobia. Oh, um, I think that that might be something where I get kind of irrational. Um, the animal that I can't afraid think of any animal. Bird. I don't, I mean, I don't like, you know, spiders. Okay. I'm not afraid of them or bees or bugs or I don't know. I can't think of any particular animal, but I think, yeah, being trapped underneath the earth is not something I would want to happen. Yeah. No, I, I, I don't blame you on that, 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 that uh, would seem uncomfortable. By the way, if if an animal comes after you and you you get afraid within the next week, don't blame me, but I may have manifested <laughs> it somehow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I've had I've had guys like ah, I'm not afraid of any animal, and then they're like a, a week or two later, like snakes or spiders, lizard, like you, you know, random thing. I'm like, whoops, that was my fault. Sorry. <laughs> once the ideas once the ideas in there to start thinking about yeah it's like inception <laughs> mm, yes <laughs> um so uh uh before i before i end this uh conversation guys i want my listeners to know where to find you and everything uh steve where can people find you uh your website and i'll yeah, link yeah. everything in the show notes right my website is stephen kabaki that's stephen with a v kabaki k-u-b-a-c-k-i dot com so that's probably the best way to find me you can also look me up on linkedin that's that's probably the easiest all yeah. right and Dylan. the well uh, I'll do a little bit more hyping for Steve because that's what I like to do. Um, you should, if you're out there and you're interested in anything we've talked about today, not just the upcoming book, but the pamphlet Steve mentioned is uh, a nice, it's a nice appetizer. Let's just say that. And there's information on the website that I think is cool to check out if you're interested in, in the case, um, like the timeline and stuff people have mentioned uh, is pretty helpful because like there is a lot of conflicting reports out there and it'll all get ironed out in the book, but yeah, Steve and 
kubaki.com is a really helpful resource. Um, so second plug for that. You could find me uh, at djqfiction.com. Um, you can find me on Amazon. Uh, I've got the Ruins of Mars trilogy. That's science fiction. Uh, I've got uh, Best Indie Book Award winner, uh, There Be Monsters. That's a little bit of sci-fi mixed with some other fun stuff that people have been enjoying and won me a Best Indie Book Award. And then lately I've been putting out a series of horror uh, short stories, an anthology called A Secret History of Port Townsend. That's where I live. It's a Victorian seaport that's sort of famously, I will use the word famously because it is famously haunted um, and has a lot of great local lore having to do with UFOs and cryptids and ghosts and all the great things. So I've been putting those down uh, in ink and they've been selling really, really well. And then you can find me all over social media as well. I'm on TikTok because that's what you got to do these days and Facebook and Instagram as well. All right. Well, thank you gentlemen for joining me. Um, but I, I, we've gone over an hour. I, I feel <laughs> like we, we, we could do many more, but uh I will spare you because, you know, I only have this much left in my refill. So. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I think I see a ice. centipede on my window anyway. Oh, need to get Jesus. out of this Run, room. run and cover. Uh, <laughs> guys, thank you so much for joining me. I greatly appreciate it. We enjoyed it. Thank you so much. That's it. That's all. Hope you had a ball. Thank you, Steve Kubacki and Dylan Quarles, uh, for a scintillating conversation. Check those guys out. Be on the lookout for the book. Uh, I certainly am. And when that comes out, maybe I'll uh, I'll talk to these gentlemen again. Uh, so you know, let me know what you think. Uh, I had a definitely some interesting uh, discussion with uh, with these two guys and. Uh, I look forward to speaking with both of them again. Um, all right. Make sure you go and vote for the Jeff Macalino podcast for the best podcast in the Tampa Bay area. Uh, again, link is in the show notes. Make sure you're subscribed to the YouTube channel. Uh, I threw up a flashback Friday clip. I'm going to try to have fun with those. Um, you know, I've got episodes. I, I actually only have video going back to episode 30. Um, so, but I, that still means I've got episodes over two years old that if you're a newer listener and judging from the statistics, you probably are, uh, you haven't listened to, so you can check out some of those clips. I'll be trying to throw those up every Friday, uh, if possible, or at least every other Friday. Uh, also Daz and drink show, uh, every Thursday, we've got an animal tournament going on. Round one just came out round two coming out, uh, in just a few days as you listen to this. Uh, and then the final four and the championship round will be a future episode because in the second round, we need the audience to be a tiebreaker. So please make sure you go over to YouTube, subscribe to the channel and tell, you know, comment in, in the round two video as to why I'm right and Jeremiah is wrong. Um, I won't spoil what the matchup is, but I'm right. He's wrong. <laughs> all right uh and also make sure you hit up the uh, instagram facebook twitter whatever you're on do me a favor throw me a like a follow whatever whatever is applicable for said social media platform boom it's over thanks for listening it was amazing <laughs> i i loved it be sure to come back for another great episode. I'm one wing away from Jeff Macalino. Of the Jeff Macalino Podcast. How much time did you spend on thinking of the name of your podcast? You want to just straight, that's my name. I'll add the word podcast to it. Yup. See you next week. <laughs> <laughs>